Hello, my name is Mark Taylor. Welcome to the Education on Fire podcast network. This show is sponsored by the National Association for Primary Education. There comes a time in every person's life when you realise it's not about doing what you are told, but doing what you know is right for you. Let us take a journey of learning and discovery with the world's most successful people who are living the life of their dreams, walking through life using their inner wisdom and being of service to others. Forget exams, grades and test scores. What is your purpose? As we let go of what we think should be and learn from our elders to gain knowledge, inspiration and a true sense of who we are. What are your dreams? Does your life have meaning? Are you living a life of significance? Let's talk with today's guest. Hello and welcome as we spend some more time together on the Learning on Fire podcast. My name is Mark Taylor. Today I'm talking to Richard Anderson. Hi Richard, thanks for joining me and let's explore the journey of who you are. Hey Mark, great to be here. Uh, Appreciate it. A little bit about who I am. Uh, I'm in Minnesota, which is not always an Arctic tundra. We have beautiful summers and springs and enjoying that and that kind of segues into a little bit of of hobbies. Uh, I love mountain biking. I love motorcycling. Um, I am a happy son, brother, husband, and father. I have one daughter who's in high school, and and I'm also the chief culture officer at Imagine IT, so that that keeps my daytimes uh, fairly busy as well. Yeah, I've seen you've had some pretty pretty full-on weather this winter, haven't you, from what I can see from the weather forecast over here? Yeah, we, we definitely have our, our use of shovels and snow plows and, and things like that. But, you know, it's it's kind of a hibernation thing. I think we kind of like it. You know, we get to go in and relax and do some inside projects. And then, boy, when that spring comes, uh, boy, you, you remember who all of your neighbors are and everybody gets their bicycles out and we really embrace the weather. So, Yeah, I, I completely agree. I'll, well, we're just going into June here as we're recording and um and our garden's just exploded now with our, all our rose bushes and stuff have just come out and it just smells beautiful and, and the weather's mm. just suddenly turned warm enough, I think, just to really bring everything on. And uh, it seems a million miles away from, like, say, those winters with we've got cosy fires and <laughs> and all that kind of thing. But I, certainly here, it's that change of scene, season, which I just I, I find really, really, really exciting. It's a, it's a way of living your life on, a, on an annual basis. It really is. And it's kind of a refreshing thing for the soul. You know, you, you come out and you remember that you, you're here to live life and you, you go bike riding and you, you know, you do whatever it is you do. My my wife loves to garden and landscape. And so, you know, we've been out pulling weeds and planting plants. And like you said, boy, those rose bushes or whatever it is, they all of a sudden just start popping, you know, and you plant them and you come back two weeks later and it's a whole different experience. That That's kind of fun. I like that. Yeah, me too. And and the thing, I think gardening for me as well, um, especially when you, things like roses, which I love, it's, I think it goes back to the fact my granddad had a fantastic um, rose garden and uh, have lots of, sort of special memories of that. But I think it's the fact that essentially everything wants to grow and everything wants to prosper. And even in the harshest conditions, sometimes as soon as the conditions start to change and you just allow it to be, there's a new bud, there's there's a new bit of growth on the bush. And then it just really kind of you sort of gives you, I don't know, that life force sort of, I think, just trans, transmits into into all of us that are around it. Yeah, what a great analogy. I, I love that line where you said everything wants to live, everything wants to bud, and that it's so true. And like you said, it's, it's kind of like uh, nature's fireworks display. You know, if you if you just kind of put it in slow motion and watched it, uh, it, it, it's beautiful. So, yeah, good analogy. I like that. Yeah, I love it. It's always my favorite thing. Find time every day to walk around the garden makes it, it puts everything into perspective, which is, is absolutely brilliant. For sure. 
Um, what does your life look like now, and how is it different from when you were growing up? Yeah, boy, growing up, uh, you know, so we were middle class. Uh, money was kind of tight. My parents were separated when I was fairly early, uh, maybe around 10 or 11. Uh, I had one brother that I grew up with. We spent a lot of time alone. Uh, you know, dad was working and, and mom lived far enough away that we really only saw her on weekends. And we didn't really travel a whole lot, but we, we really had a close-knit group of friends. Um, and they came to our house a lot. We were playing neighborhood sports and kickball and baseball and tennis, whatever kind of ball or whatever kind <laughs> of sport you could get a hold of. We would pull some guys together and we'd be having fun and playing. But it was a fairly simple life. Uh, we We didn't have... Um, exorbitant budgets or the abilities to enjoy some of those more luxurious things. And I would say that as a general rule, we were pretty happy and we had a, we had a good time. And um, I don't remember being stressed. I, I remember feeling safe at all times. You know, life was pretty good. But looking back, I would say it was it was a little tight. I remember there was times where my dad was between jobs and, you know, we were, we were really kind of tightening our belts and trying to figure out where we could save some money. And for the most part, my brother and I were sheltered from that, but you know how it is. You can, you can sense some of that, and uh, so that that was kind of my baseline. And I, I knew that when I graduated high school, and uh, wanted I wanted to go to college. I wanted to make sure that I had that education, and and I could make a, potentially a, a better living for myself. Um, and so that's that's what I did. And I I went away to Marquette University, got a really good education, uh, became a public accountant, and then later joined a a very large multinational company where I, where I learned a lot of good and bad things. Uh, and now I'm you know, running a company with two partners and we only have 40 employees. And, but, but what's different now is I saw my dad go to work as a job, you know, and he would get up every day, put on the battle armor and grab his briefcase, go to work. And then he would come home usually later than he wanted and he would be grumbling about someone or something, and I thought, ugh, what a terrible thing to look forward to, you know, as you get older and you have this career, this thing, you know, I to, to have to go to work and, and dread it um, was just not something I wanted to do, and, and so when my partners and I started Imagine IT back in 2012, uh, one of the first things we threw on the agenda was creating a company that we wanted to work for, like that place where you wanted to go to work, and that environment and that culture and that feeling and, um, you know, just that, that community. And and so what's different from today? I think that my, wife, my, my daughter has a much different perspective <laughs> of what her old man does when he goes to work than I did. And, and that's wonderful to be able to pay that forward and share that, that you don't have to work for organizations that don't appreciate you and, and don't reward your your loyalty. Um, I feel like we've created it, but I see a lot of companies doing what we do as well. Uh, you know, today is an employee's market. You know, you can go get a new job tomorrow. Um, so why not get one that you really love working at and love doing what they're doing? So to me, that's a big difference. Um you know, I, I hope that we're, I'm able to pay it forward a little bit there for the for the folks that are joining us. But I, I can tell you that was kind of a dread growing up. I don't know in your family or, if, uh, you know, what kind of uh, role models you had in that regard. But work to me was a four-letter word, and it wasn't a good one. So, 
Yeah, I think I think lots of people find themselves um, seeing that, don't they, as, as they're growing up. And my um, my dad was, a, or, or before he retired, was a motor mechanic, and he mm-hmm. absolutely loved what he did. And he he, um, he worked for himself a, a, a lot of the time from when I was quite small going up. Um, and I think he wasn't particularly interested in school necessarily too much. But when he found that passion of kind of being able to get his hands dirty, work out how all these things worked and, you know, got an apprenticeship, went to college, got all those qualifications and then sort of loved it really all the way through. And like I say, there's ups and downs on to all of those types of things. But I think the, the one support that we all had, um, myself and my, and my two sisters, was the fact that we were always supported to do what we loved and what we wanted to do. Um, and, and I think when you've got that basis to start from, then you really do feel like it's a different world to live in. And like you say, you're going to have to just go and get something for a paycheck yeah that's brilliant i I love that a you felt safe to pursue what it is that that made you happy but b he he led by example by doing something that he loved doing whether or not it was the most glamorous or highest paying or most if, if he loved doing it then that's the right thing to do i liked how your last podcast with jerry talked about doing what you're passionate about and and boy if you do that it kind of doesn't really feel like work you know, time just goes quickly, and um, and so I'm glad we're able to create that. I'm I'm glad that more people are doing that, like yourself. Um, but boy, I don't know that that was the that wasn't the role model I had growing up. So that's <laughs> definitely a difference. Yeah, well, I think that's something. If we can all uh, have that in our minds as we create whatever it is that we're doing, then uh, like you say, to pay it forward to our children and and the people around us, that's a special gift to be able to do. Yeah. And um, what was valuable about your school experience? Yeah, you know, in the new perspective of a parent, you know, you see how your children go through school and what is bothering them or what pressures they have. Um, so I, I guess in that hindsight, I genuinely felt safe. Uh, you know, I, I see um, students now uh, at certain schools and, of course, every district and every city and every state and every country is different. But there are definitely those schools where students feel the pressure and they don't feel safe and they maybe don't even feel like they're cared for. You know, the teachers are there doing their job. And um, and I never had any of that. I, I felt like the teachers genuinely cared about me. I felt very safe. I had my close-knit group of friends and I, and I felt like I was very well prepared for whatever was next. Um, you know, I, I don't know that I could have been an auto mechanic, but but I definitely felt like I learned how to learn. And if there's anything that I think you can take away from school is that if you can learn anything, well, then you can do anything. And and so if school taught me anything, it's it's that you can learn anything, right? Put your mind to it. You know, today it's a little easier. You go on Google or you go on YouTube or you, you know, you search online and you find some video and next thing you know, you're changing your own carburetor. But, you know, back then you didn't have those resources. And so you had to read books or go to the library or find magazines or go to the library, you know, talk to somebody. Um, but somehow, some way they, they taught me how to learn. And that was definitely probably the best lesson I had. Yeah, I, I really love that. And I think it's, it's interesting. I've talked about this before on the show, but that sense of I certainly didn't learn how to podcast when I was at school, partly because you didn't even have the internet, let alone the whole idea of this new world that we're living in. But I think it is just that, you know, there was something within me that just felt as soon as I started hearing people doing it, started listening to podcasts, listening to this whole new world that was being developed, I thought there's something there for me. And, and as it's turned out, you know, I've got 
very heavily involved in it but um but it is that kind of thing if you can find anything you can learn anything if you just immerse yeah. yourself in it and just allow you, you sort of attract the people that you need i guess in the situations in the learning environments and like i say anything is possible at that point yeah absolutely which teachers do you remember and why yeah, great question. I, I thought about this before we spoke, and, and I had a tough time picking because there were so many influential teachers, good and bad, but the ones that I wrote down were all from high school. Um, I had uh, one one teacher, uh, Arnie Cutler, who I don't think he's with us any longer, but he was our calculus teacher. And calculus, as as you may recall, if you uh, were subjected to that, <laughs> um, is, is not a very easy uh, class, but there was something about the way that he taught that demystified it, made it fun, made it challenging. And I don't know that I've ever seen a teacher so passionate. I mean, he would show up early, he would stay late, he would work through his lunches, and he always had someone in front of him where he was drawing pictures or or highly engaged in helping them move forward. Uh, one of my most memorable things from him is he didn't like the word exam or test. He thought that it made people nervous. And so he made up this silly acronym called CB Up. It was a closed book learning experience for evaluational purposes, which is just silly, right? It, it was just another way of saying test or exam. But I liked how he uh, got connected to the psyche and he realized that that word was a trigger for some people, so he figured out a different one. <laughs> Um, the other thing that he taught me in, in the rest of the class, he, he did a, a study once uh, where he reviewed how um, well the students did um, who had other curricular activities versus those that didn't. And, and in his world, other curricular activities or other activities could be um, a part-time job, it could be on the soccer team, it could be whatever. But it had to be something that was like fairly significant, like things that you did you know, on a very, very regular basis. So so his theory was, is that those people had less time. And what he was hy hypothesizing was they would either manage their time better or they would not do as well in school. He wasn't sure which way. And almost without exception, the study showed that those people that had other activities did better in his classes. And so ultimately he had to hypothesize that they were just better time managers. Well, the reason that that was such a great lesson is as my daughter grew up, she was highly active in um, competitive gymnastics. Uh, and for anyone who has a student um, in that type of an activity, it, it's literally 20 to 25 hours a week. Um, it, it's kind of a full-time job. And ultimately, she, she became a state uh, champion on the balance beam, and she retired at 12. And I say that kind of laughingly because who, who retires from anything at 12? But in <laughs> gymnastics, 12 is, is not necessarily young anymore. Uh, and I told her, I said, well, you can retire. That's fine. But you need to fill it with something else. I don't care what it is. You could do dance, you could do some other sport, you could you know, do whatever, but you have to do something. And, and that was a lesson that Arnie Cutler taught me because uh, you know, an idle mind is a dangerous mind. And so if you keep it busy and you keep doing, you learn time management. Um, and so she did. She got into Taekwondo. Uh, her and I studied together and we both actually received our first black belt uh, in the last month. So good timing on this. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So that was that was kind of the lesson. And now that she's wrapped up Taekwondo, you know, she's taking on new things. But what a great lesson that was uh, to learn at an early age. I think you're absolutely right. And uh, my, my daughter does tumbling and she's done gymnastics and various things. And 
trampolining she did for a while as well and it's tumbling which is really her her thing now just likes to be upside down and flicking backwards and forwards and all of that kind of thing which i still find amazing um yeah but like you say it is that commitment it is that time but you can always find the time that you need and and it is that you know um, I can't remember the exact um, law or the phrase that it is, but it's that kind of, we always cram everything into the amount of time we've got, don't we? So if you've got a month to do something, you still end up doing it either at the last minute or within a small window of opportunity. So I think, like you say, when you fill your time with other things which are really supporting you, either spiritually or emotionally or physically, you actually have the same amount of time as you probably would have been doing all these things anyway. Well, and, and to your point, you also then learn time management. But you're you're right. If you give someone a week or a month, they're going to take a week or a month. And so it's uh, that was a great lesson. Um, there's one other one that I'll mention in a much shorter version. Uh, Dr. Keenan, uh, he was I only mentioned him because he taught a history class and it was a Russian history class. And uh, I am not a history fan. I don't really enjoy that class. I don't know that I ever did in any of my years except for this very one class, which is why I highlight him. This guy was just phenomenal. He he walked in the first day of class and he pulled out uh, an in, a box of index cards, so kind of like a like a recipe, you know, those little recipe cards. Yeah. Uh, and he opened it up, and that's all. He, he had a briefcase, and he pulled out these cards. He set it on his desk. And he would show up about 15 minutes early, and he'd pull a card out. He would start on the chalkboard. Not we didn't have grease boards back then, so he started on the chalkboard on one side of the chalkboard, and 15 minutes later, the chalkboard was full side to side. And he would teach each class according to the things he had written on the board. So he had proceduralized his lesson plan. He could have done transparencies. He could have done handouts. He could have done whatever. But his his entire world was contained inside this little recipe box. <laughs> and what he would do is he would teach us something about Russian history, and then he would contrast it with what was happening in the United States. And so we had a context, and he would just go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth in a very engaging, passionate way. You could tell he loved this subject matter. And I thought, I watched the other teachers, you know, struggle to keep up, and they would maybe not have their lessons plan plans organized quite as, as fluently. And, and some of them were stressed out about getting things done. He always just seemed dialed in, and he was efficient. He would show up, you know, 15 minutes before class started, and he would leave immediately when class was done. He had he had his life outside of, of school. And, you know, from a role model point of view, I don't know that I ever really loved history, but I sure enjoyed seeing how proficient he was at his craft. Um, very impressive. Yeah, no, I can really identify with that. Who did you admire when you were young? You know, I think there's the the standby answers of mom and dad and grandma and grandpa. And there's definitely family members that I did. But if I look uh, professionally, I was a big Stephen Jobs fan, you know, back at Apple. And then he left and started Next Computing. And then he went back to Apple. And I, I just really loved the entrepreneurialism that uh, he exuded. Uh, it was definitely a success story and still is to this day. But um, I'm going to pick someone that nobody's heard of. So there's a gentleman I worked with in corporate America. His name is John Malloy, really good guy. And he taught me a number of lessons. Uh, he was he was my my boss, um, and there was probably two or three bosses above him before you got to the to the CEO of this organization. And I remember uh, two lessons. So one of them, we were in a board meeting, which I don't typically get to attend at that level of my career, but I was there as a subject matter expert on a system, and the the meeting ran long. I happened to be done with my portion, but I was sitting in the meeting off to the side trying to be quiet, and he was at the board uh, table, 
with all of the board members of this very big, large organization. You know, all of them make lots of money and they're really important. And he stood up and he apologized and he said, I'm sorry, but I promised my son that I would see his baseball game tonight. And so I'm going to have to leave. I'll catch up with you all tomorrow. Have a great evening. And he stood up and he left. And I thought, oh my goodness, what just happened here? Because nobody else was leaving and everybody else was, was running late. Um, and, but nobody else did that. And I thought, wow, what a great honorable thing for him to do, uh, you know, to honor his family and, and to lead by example. And, and I use that term very specifically because I, I could have read that same lesson in a book and I could have heard it on a podcast, but to see him stand up and leave one of the most important meetings probably of his week or his month um, to honor his son, I thought was just incredible. And that really is a massive impact, isn't it? Like you say, to actually witness it, and because not only is it the words, it's it's the it's the physicality of actually standing there and doing it, and I guess and then leaving, but just the fact that it it just changes the dynamic of everything, and to be that secure with yourself, like you say, and actually have that respect um, for your family, having made the plan and all of that. I can, yeah, that must have been, yeah, I can imagine the most impactful thing that, that you can possibly imagine. Yeah, incredibly impactful. Same guy. Uh, I'm having a one-on-one meeting with him. Uh, we're in a we're in a closed office. Uh, there's glass on the outside of the office, so you can see inside. You can see that we're meeting. And so, closed door meeting. He and I are talking face to face. We're having our HR review or whatever it was. I actually don't even remember the content. And his boss opens the door and, and storms in. Uh, in even though we're in the middle of a meeting and kind of has one of these tirade, you know, blah, 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 you know, loud and animated and, you know, the sky is falling and, you know, everything is going wrong. And I mean, it was just terrible. I I don't even remember what the topic was. I just remember being frightened at how animated and loud this interaction was. And then just as quickly as he had stormed in, he closed the door and exited the office. And I was fairly confident that our meeting was over and that I was (laughs) going to have to leave. But I didn't. He he looked at me. He took a deep breath, and he said, "Okay, where were we?" And he went right back to the meeting, as if that event had never happened. And I and, and like I said, it took me probably a couple minutes to calm down myself. I wasn't even involved with the interaction, but again, that showed me that power of being present. Whatever's immediately in front of you, that person that you're working with now, is the most important conversation you can finish. And that next thing can always wait, no matter how important you think it might be. You know, what you what you previously set out to do, you can finish that first and then move on. And again, leading by example and seeing that play out was so powerful. I, I, I've probably told that story 10 times because it impacted me so greatly. Just amazing. I'm just thinking in, in terms of the sorts of positions you are, you're in now with, with your company and that kind of thing. Do you find those things are, are sort of pivotal in almost everything that you do on a, on a daily basis in every meeting that you take? Because they were, like say, so impactful. Do they, are they a real driver for, like say, the culture and everything that you want to provide? Well, they definitely influence my decision. I, I don't know that I, by, uh, by nature, I don't know that I'm as patient and focused and calm and zen-like as John was. Um, but you know how you see those shows or those cartoons where you have a devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and this is, you know, 
this made the angel on my shoulder just stronger, you know, where it, it'll whisper into your ear and say, that's okay. Take the time, do it right. You know, honor the meeting or honor the conversation or, you know, it, it's great to, to have that, um, that person or that experience that you can look to, to raise your own bar, you know, to expect more from yourself and know that it's not unachievable. We can all be better people. And when you see that someone else doing it and making it look so effortless, it's really, um, you know, a sanity check for yourself and to, and to really expect more from yourself. And so to your point, I, I do hear that voice um, on a very regular basis, much more than I probably would have otherwise. Yeah, and I think it's an interesting point, especially when we're younger and we're sort of looking around. And I think a lot of the time when we're young, we don't necessarily take it on board. But I think these conversations are great for just to allow people to at least have an inkling about it. It's the fact that, you know, we have mentors and, and teachers, not necessarily school teachers, but teachers and mentors and, and people around us that are giving us all this great um, advice and information all the time. If we're just sort of, like you say, present enough to really understand what's going on. And I think even if it's just a little bit of kind of knowing the world's slightly different because this person has been a certain way, I think that's just a, a real pleasure for us all. Oh, yeah. And wonderful segue. I, this is jumping ahead a little bit, but you know, one of the advice I would have given my younger self is is just that, is to find the mentors and the coaches and the influencers um, throughout your career. I mean, we, we hear the word coach, and many of us, at least historically, think that in terms of a sports application. But the the more adept and experienced I get, the more I realize I don't have uh, the answers. You know, when you're young and you're overconfident and fresh out of college, you think you can conquer the world and you very quickly find out how little you know. Um, but what you don't learn until late, at least I didn't learn until later, is that there are plenty of people out there that want to be mentors and want to be coaches and want to help you be the best you that you can be. And if I had some advice to give myself would be to find those mentors sooner and to be connected to them on a very regular basis, right? And some mentors, they kind of run their course and they've taught you what they can teach you, but that doesn't mean there isn't another one waiting around the corner to teach you the next lesson. And if I look back at some of the lulls in my career and my life, um, they almost always are accompanied with a lack of good coaching and mentorship. In other words, I, I, let, a la I let it lapse and I didn't you know, stay connected to that that higher influence and I really wished I had done that a little bit more and uh, you know maybe maybe some good advice that others can can take a hold of yeah I think that's um I think that's great advice and I can I can certainly at various points in my life whether it's a, a teacher in my professional career or like you say someone who's just had a a way of showing me a different world around or, or, or to be slightly different showing up in the same world that I'm in you know and all that makes a makes a big difference and 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 I think the key thing for me often is the fact that my personal um, perspective often is the fact I just want to achieve it or I want to get to the whatever the level is or the place that everyone wants to be whatever that happens to look like for you but as soon as you sit back enough and take a deep enough breath to realize that, that everything's about a journey we're we're constantly moving we're constantly growing we're constantly have the the ability to learn from people around us and then you sort of soften into the fact that like you say there are people around who can help and guide you and if you're just willing and sort of supple enough to be able to be moved by all of that then you really do get the chance to like you say to to really just end up in a place which is really most supportive for you yeah absolutely and, and to your point you know those people all around you they they might not 
all have every ingredient you need, but maybe one person is really good at work-life balance and another one's really good at marketing and another, you know, and so sometimes you have to augment your team to meet the challenges that you face. But the good news is, is there's, there's plenty of options. And as long as you keep your eyes and ears open, um, you know, when the student is ready, the, the teacher will appear. It's amazing when you are open to it, how quickly you identify somebody in your general circle that could help you. Yeah, absolutely. And and having that space just to allow that to happen is is key. Yeah, absolutely. So 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 powerful that. Mm. What was the best piece of advice you've ever been given and who gave it to you? <laughs> well, there's a, there's a couple quick ones that I would I I've applied many times. Uh, one is is don't run away from something, run to something. And I was given that advice when I was uh disgruntled in a previous employment opportunity and my manager pulled me aside and said, well, you shouldn't leave on a high note and you shouldn't leave on a low note. You leave in the middle when you have a sound mind and you feel like you've solved the problem or you've achieved the goals or whatever it is. But if you find yourself running away from something, then you've left an opportunity on the table. And I, I thought that was pretty profound because we, we get stronger uh, through those challenges. And if you leave amidst a big challenge, well, you've lost an opportunity to strengthen whatever it is that made that challenging to you. And so I, I really like that advice. And I've used it when we have employees or team members that uh, consider moving on from our company. And, and, and so I will look at them in the face and I'll say, so are you running to something? Are, are you running to something or are you running away from something? And if they get really excited about where they're going and the opportunity that presents them, then I'm happy for them. I'll give them a hug and I'll wish them a, a great career and let them know the door is open and they could always come back. But if, but if they're leaving something that isn't working well here, I would much rather work with them and try to figure that out and, and try to solve the challenge or to find a, an alternative perspective or whatever it is um, to help them get stronger. So I, I really liked that perspective. Yeah, I think that's really, yeah, it's, it's really great advice. It just reminds me of that kind of, it's a bit like, um, I mean, I guess moving a job is a big decision, but that decision making generally, you know, don't do yeah. it when you're really angry or you're really annoyed about something or something's really got your goat. Um, and, and also don't do it, like you say, when you're on a complete high and you think everything looks a certain way because all of those emotions change. To have... Uh, that space and that perspective to actually do it on in that sort of neutral area, I think is, is really key as well. Mm, absolutely. Uh, one other piece of advice that I was given this is a little more recently, um, but it's it from an author. Her name is Jennifer Kern Collins. She wrote a book called the drama freeway. And she, you know, I had, I had some conversations with her quite extensively um, as I was working through some, some stuff in my life. And one of them was reacting to other people's drama. And that's what she calls it, is other people's drama, OPD. And, and what she taught me is that if you don't allow yourself to get sucked into the drama, then it isn't dramatic to you. And, and she, she said, if there's a perspective you can take where much like a movie, if you are watching a, a horror movie or an action flick or a whatever kind of movie, you know, if, if you get pulled in, you might find yourself being afraid or being, you know, crying or being emotional. But if you're just watching it kind of like from afar, then you're not pulled in from an emotional point of view. And, and, and she taught me that when you are around uh, people that are very dramatic and they live their lives in highs and lows, or if you have a dramatic situation, you do have the ability once you recognize the drama 
you have the ability to kind of like step back a little bit and take more of a, an audience member perspective to it and then position your reaction. But once you get pulled in, typically what happens is drama responds to drama and it can escalate. And I used to be an escalator. And so people would bring dramatic things. I would then get dramatic. They would get dramatic. And next thing you know, it was a heated exchange or it was something emotional. And um, and so she taught me how to deal with that. And I, I that has been uh, just an amazing clarifier in me as a, a person, as a husband, as a father, and definitely as a coworker um, with my team here. So that was that was really good advice. Yeah, I absolutely love that. What does your future look like? Uh, you know, at, at this point, I think it has a lot more to do with just living life, uh, creating memories, um, trying to live a life of happiness. But um, from a professional point of view, I, I'd really like to pay it forward more. You know, uh, I've had the the great fortune of working with some really good coaches and mentors and learning the hard way in a lot of cases. <laughs> and if I can you know, pay that forward and, and spend some time with um, business owners or younger managers and leaders. Uh, that's that's probably how I will, I will spend my time moving forward, and that's that's my happy place. Well, that's fantastic, and and that's exactly what you're doing here today, which is I'm really grateful for. I think we've already covered some so much great um, insights, which uh, certainly made me think about lots of things in my life, and I'm sure so many people listening as well. Mm, thank you. What podcast book video film song or, or any resource has had the biggest impact on your life and why was that but this is a, this list could take you know four or five podcasts in of itself <laughs> but, I, but I'll, I'll pick just a couple um one of my most memorable books is actually one that i can't say is my favorite but it's a book called pinkalicious and it was a book my daughter loved reading and, and she was so young she couldn't read but we had read the book so many times that she literally could recite it word for word. Um, and it, it's not a, a short book for like a four-year-old or a five-year-old or however old she was, but but she could read it, uh, you know, word for word. And she knew exactly when the page turns were and she knew all the complicated words. And, you know, why did that, why was that a big impact in my life? Well, that was quality time, you know, sitting with your daughter, reading these books before bedtime and watching her giggle at all the happy places and be scared at the scary places and um, so I always remember that book she probably doesn't even remember having read that book so much <laughs> as a kid um, there was another one uh, by Disney I'm sure it's a version of a story told many times but it was called button soup and the character Daisy Daisy Duck uh, goes to her uncle Scrooge's house and, and she's hungry and she asks for some soup and he of course says he has no food and go away and so she pulls out a button and she says, all I need is a cauldron with some water. And she puts the button in the cauldron and he becomes curious and starts looking in at this cauldron of water. And and she says, boy, you know what would make it better is salt and pepper. But since you don't have anything, you know, I guess a button will have to do. And, of course, he goes and gets some salt and pepper. And then she says something else and says something else. And next thing you know, this soup has potatoes and carrots and cabbage and salt and pepper and peas and vegetables and it's this wonderful soup that they enjoy and you know the end of the the end of the book is them all having a big feast with all their family and friends and you think okay well that's an interesting story but what did it teach me well sometimes when you approach people and you tell them about your grand masterful plan with all of the bells and whistles and the grandiose uh, ending they might not be able to buy in you might have to 
give them baby steps. You might have to say, you know, here's the first step and here's kind of what I'm thinking and wouldn't this be nice? And then we can do version two and then we can do version three, but version one's not too bad. You know, are you interested in maybe taking this small step with me? And different personalities have different appetite for change. And if you try to bring this tornado of change into their world, uh, you're just going to scare them away. And so I, I like the simplicity of that book, you know, start with a button and in the end you can have a beautiful, you know, cauldron of soup. But uh, when she tried to sell that big cauldron of soup on day one, Uncle Scrooge wasn't very interested in it. So interesting lesson learned at an early age, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, I've got a few big projects coming up myself, and that's that's just <laughs> that's just made me slightly stop in my tracks. <laughs> I was just thinking. It's, yeah, you uh, don't want to scare anybody. That kind of. I'm just going to put the big letters at the top of the page, saying this is where we're heading and what we're doing. <laughs> and, and you're absolutely right. right. I've I've been there before. It's that kind of. But we just need to do, you know, step one. Just start to get a feel for what it is. And even if you've got a a grand plan, actually, like you say, because it's all about community. It's all about bringing people along, isn't it? And just making sure that they understand what it is. Like, yeah, what a, what a great analogy. Yeah, thank you. And, and you're right. And you can apply that to business. And you know, you you bring on new employees and tell them you're going to conquer the world. You you might not get them through the door, but if you can say, hey, you know, come on in and do these couple things and that's going to help us move forward, you know, then they can maybe buy in. So I, there's a simple one. Uh, you know, if I were to pick a business one, it'd probably be the five dysfunctions of a team, which many people have spoken about. But the lesson that I really like there is when you, when your team members change, you actually become immediately dysfunctional again until you rebuild the function functionality of the team. And I think we forget just because we were a world-class team or we accomplished great results last year. If we have different team members this year, it's a new season. You have to, you have to reacclimate. You have to learn everybody's strengths and weaknesses, and you have to leverage those. Um, and and so that aspect of that book was also very influential to me. Yeah, and I mean, you only have to look at sports teams, don't you, to see that that you can you can buy in a whole load of fantastic world class um, sports people, whatever the the sport happens to be. But <laughs> it it often takes a, a season or two or three for them to sort of gel together and to sort of start working as well and being on the same page for it actually to really start to create the magic, which then takes them on to that sort of super level status of being able to win everything. Absolutely, yeah. No, you're right. Absolutely. So for those people who want to find out more about you, is there a website or a place they can connect and, and explore a little bit more? Well, for sure. I, our website is www.imagineiti.com. And of course, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. I'm happy to connect to people on LinkedIn as well. Well, thank you so much um, for sharing your wisdom and allowing us to learn from your experiences. And, and I really appreciate everything that you've done and um, and sharing your time, but also that wisdom and, and real understanding, I think, which is going to give us a lot to think about going forward. So thank you, Richard, for so much. Well, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Learning on Fire podcast. For more information, please visit educationonfire.com and follow the links from the homepage. This show is sponsored by the National Association for Primary Education. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.